All right, we got a key race alert right now. A huge number of votes just came in. Take a look at this. 37% of the estimated vote is now in in the state of Georgia. More I don't know if you watch CNN, but I feel like at this point, after what happened in November, the phrase key race alert should just like totally be banned. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. I think that that is, uh, as well as the New York Times uh, election needle, I think these things need to be removed from... Uh, our, our cultural experience. <laughs> no more needle, no more race alerts. Let's end it all. Yep. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, with voting now over in the two Georgia Senate runoffs, Elena Schneider alerts us to all the key info you need about the races that could determine where the needle lands on national politics for years to come. Elena, it is Wednesday morning. Voting is over in Georgia. The races are called and Democrats have been able to flip two Republican seats in the Senate blue. John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock have defeated incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. This is obviously huge for Democrats. But what does this mean for the future of Congress and U.S. politics under President-elect Biden? That means that Democrats hold all levers of power in Washington as of uh, as of these victories. Um, that means that Mitch McConnell is no longer Senate Majority Leader, and instead, uh, most likely Chuck Schumer will then take on that that mantle. And it means that Joe Biden will have a much easier time passing through and moving through his legislative agenda and a Democratic agenda through Congress because they control, even though it's narrow, obviously as narrow basically margins as you can possibly get, they control both houses. And that means that he's going to have a much easier time, everything from his his cabinet nominations all the way through to to the first um, big legislative pushes he might he might try to move through Congress. How would you say we got to where we are today? Like, what were the politics behind these races, both nationally and in Georgia? And how did we see them play out in the weeks leading up to yesterday's election? Look, I think what brought us here today and sort of the, the politics and the political environment that that made Georgia possible um, and, and why Georgia became the center of the universe is a couple of things. So first of all, Georgia, for the first time since 1992, went blue for a presidential candidate. CBS News is projecting President-elect Joe Biden won Georgia. Right now, Joe Georgia's Biden won this state in, in, in a way that was pretty shocking for both parties, I should say, that he was actually able to pull this off. This is a state that is rapidly diversifying and growing and has been trending more purple in recent years. But to actually pull it over sort of the mountaintop uh, for Democrats and to actually turn it to blue was quite a big deal. And and it's a remarkable moment for Georgia because this state, as I said, has been evolving and changing over the last uh, two decades. But but the fact that uh, Democrats were able to bring these two races to this point just speaks to how purple this state has really become. And it and it shuffles sort of the the map or the road to 270 for presidential candidates moving forward. Georgia is going to play a much bigger role um, in, in, in the path for, for both parties because it's going to be so much more contested than it ever was before. This isn't your first Georgia election. You moved there basically in 2017 <laughs> to cover John Ossoff's unsuccessful run for the House then. A few moments ago, my friends, I called Secretary Handel. I commended her on a hard-fought race and on her victory this evening. What sort of shift would you say we've seen in Georgia since then? 
it's almost hard to believe that I started the Trump era with John Ossoff and now finishing the Trump era with John Ossoff. <laughs> um, and, and look, when I was covering John Ossoff back in 2017, he was a total unknown who managed to emerge from this, you know, massive Democratic primary to take on this this special election that was happening in the Atlanta suburbs that really was in a lot of ways a bellwether for what we saw in the next three years, how much Georgia and especially those suburban counties were going to shift. Places like Cobb County, Gwinnett County, these were places that were, you know, conservative strongholds. This, These are the places where um, Newt Gingrich, that that was his old district, um, where John Ossoff was competing in that in that congressional race. And, and yet John Ossoff was able to get really, really close to flipping that district in 2017. And then we saw it actually turn blue in 2018. Today, 6th District Congresswoman Karen Handel conceded Tuesday's election and congratulated the Democrat who beat her, Lucy McBath. McBath won the six. Um, Karen Handel, who won the special election, lost it to to Congresswoman Lucy McBath, and then Lucy McBath was able to continue to hold it through 2020, and and those counties have just continued to trend blue harder and harder year after year in favor of Democrats and away from Republicans in this Trump era. And I remember talking to particularly female voters and 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 women who were activated for the first time to not only vote but to volunteer to get involved to participate in politics in a way they had never before, that that what we saw in those suburban counties in 2017 really heralded a change that we saw sort of come to fruition uh, in 2020 and, and why Joe Biden was then able to turn the state blue in, in November. There's still a lot of stuff that's going to happen after voting finished yesterday. Georgia counties have until January 15th to certify the results. Congress still hasn't certified President-elect Joe Biden's victory and a band of Republicans are threatening to defy certifying him. Um, They'll be doing that today. But these two runoffs really are sort of the final big event of the 2020 election. How would you describe the moment we're in right now and how we've seen one of the most polarizing elections in U.S. history play out over the past few months? I think that even though uh, technically the 2020 election is going to come to an end in the next couple of days as we see all of these results finally get certified and people sworn in, I think that the lingering impact of this election is going to continue to ripple through uh, American politics for the next four years. I mean, in the same way that 2016 never felt like it quite ended, I think there's going to be elements of 2020 that are going to continue to shape the way that both parties uh, react and and operate uh, in this in this new sort of political environment. And and chief among them is the way that Republicans have responded to or failed to accept the reality of, of the Electoral College and the results in November, that, that Trump and a, and a cohort of Republicans are still continuing to push back, even in this sort of ceremonial moment um, where there's very little that they can actually functionally do, that nonetheless, they're still trying to make a, a stand here. And I think that that approach or that um, willful rejection of fact is going to to continue to have real ripple effects in how both parties approach each other and approach voters over the next four years. Elena Schneider, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Also today, 
More than two dozen new cases of the coronavirus strain that emerged in the United Kingdom have now been identified in San Diego County in California, and health officials are warning that the potentially more contagious variant is likely elsewhere in the state already. Last week, shortly after the mutated strain was first documented in the U.S. and Colorado, Governor Gavin Newsom confirmed the variant had appeared in San Diego County, and now it's becoming a major cause for concern in the state, which has seen a record surge in cases since November, with hospitals filled to capacity in Southern California and the Central Valley. Officials are warning that the strain's potential for wider spread could lead to more fatalities, even if the variant itself may not be more deadly to a patient who contracts it. And U.S. officials investigating a massive computer breach say the foreign hackers who compromised a wide array of government and corporate networks appear to have spied on fewer than 10 of the federal agencies left vulnerable by their attack. In a joint statement issued by the FBI, NSA, CISA, and Office of the Director of National Intelligence, investigators said of the roughly 18,000 public and private customers affected by malware attached to an up update from the company SolarWinds, a quote, much smaller number have been compromised by follow-on activity on their systems. In what amounts to the first formal but tentative U.S. government attribution of the attack to Moscow, the statement said hackers, quote, likely Russian in origin, are behind most or all of the compromises. A person familiar with the matter told Politico that the intelligence statement had been approved two weeks ago, but was delayed at the White House's insistence. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Politico Energy, Nerdcast, Pulse Check, and Global Translations. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.